This is Chris. Welcome to episode 275 of X-Lapsed, where, uh, wow, it's another sort of kind of milestone, right? It's a multiple of 25, so that's kind of special. <laughs> I mean, at least coming from uh, coming as a fan of my vintage here, where, uh, you know, the denominations or the multiples of 25 were oversized, sparkly, and um, more expensive than the rest of the books here. So I guess in that regard... It's kind of a milestone, right? And um, shock of shocks, Wolverine is nowhere to be found, right? I feel like every single time we've got a milestone, big or small, Wolverine is like front and center. And today, not a sign of him. Well, there's a there's a clone of a clone of him, but uh, not the man himself. Uh, we're going to be continuing the never-ending Shadow King story in New Mutants, Volume 4, Number 22. It's out of December 2021 cover date. The story's called Shadows and Mirrors. Written by Vida Ayala or Vida Ayala. Art by Rod Reese. Letters VCs Travis Lanham. Designs Tom Muller. Head of X's Hickman. Edits Bisa Brunstad White Sabolski. Cover price four bucks. This one went on sale October the 6th of 2021. Now we open with, uh, well, Krakoa in Flames. Which might be a tad bit confusing since the Inferno storyline is underway. Though, uh, maybe in fairness, it's supposed to be a little bit confusing. Anyway, the mutant island is being invaded by, uh, well, a whole load of threats. Including Sentinels, Nimrod, Karima What's-Her-Face, Belasco, Sim, some Brood, some AIM Beekeepers, Apocalypse's Children, the original Horsemen, some Demons, some Evolved Apes, and bits and bobs of Orcus... Which uh, we will uh, we'll talk a little bit about later. Now they're laying waste to the island and systematically killing members of our original New Mutants cast. Now here's a question: Did uh, did anyone expect me to call them the OG New Mutants? Because had I done that, that would have been very very annoying of me. I really don't know why this is a tangent here, but uh, OG has become one of my bigger pet peeves of late. Uh, maybe I'm just like a much older. Human than I than I thought I was, but I swear anytime I hear some like nerdy goofball refer to something as OG, kind of want to punch him in the face. <laughs> I was at a comic shop a couple weeks ago where they had some old Star Wars toys on the wall that they were trying to sell, and uh, this dude came in. He's like, "Oh, it's an OG Luke Skywalker," and I'm like, "What? Oh, just, just just don't don't just stop, please stop." Anyway. Double-page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters include Danny Moonstar, Karma, Wolvesbane, Warpath, Magic, Anole, Scout, Rainboy, Cosmar, and No Girl. Back to comics, and the Shadow Kings Irregulars visit with Scout at the Kinney House to try and apologize for how everything went down. And it goes, well, surprisingly well, 
surprising to them how well it goes. I figured Gabby would forgive them. It just seems like that'd be in her nature. They weren't so sure. Now, they spend a few pages doing the uh, the Vida Ayala special here. They talk about their feelings, and then they do a uh, full-on group hug. Kind of annoying, but uh, something we're getting used to in this book. Now, Gabby does tell them, however, that uh, if they ever want to be friends with her again, they're going to have to, you know, stop hanging out with Farouk. And they're down with it. In fact, they were going to cut things off with him that very day. We shift scenes and we're over to the Wild Hunt, where it's revealed that the burning Krakoa bit was just some shadowy manipulation. The New Mutants now find themselves stood in the Cairo market, which is where Amal claims to have done many of his negotiations in the past. Because, you see, that's what this is. It's a negotiation. He's not looking for a fight. He's just looking to make a point. Now, he takes him into a room for a tea party so he can explain further. Now, all of the death and destruction he just showed them, it really it wasn't something he was threatening them with. But all the same, it is something that threatens Krakoa. It's the fate of Krakoa should they continue on their same kind of cloistered and soft path. He starts tugging at that whole, you know, we've gotten too soft thread, which we actually haven't seen anyone mention in quite a while now, so it's, it's nice to see it back. Now, Danny accuses him of trying to manipulate them by exposing them to their worst fears, to which Karma corrects her. Farouk isn't showing them their worst fears, he's showing them his. Now, he vows to slap mutant kind with a reality check, reminding them of all the threats that haven't gone away simply because they've changed the playing field. They're still out there, and they're still, they're still wanting and devising mutant kind's end. From here, it's an info page. It's called Rebellion of the Host. Now, this is a callback to an Xavier flashback in X-Men number 117, which told of his first run-in with Amal Farouk. Now, there's even a reference to a young pickpocket who is clearly Storm. Back to the Kinney house, where the Irregulars head off to tell Farouk to suck it. Gabby initially remains at home because Rain had told her to kind of stay out of harm's way for a bit. But after a little bit of soul-searching and talking with, uh, what's-his-face, her pet Wolverine, she decides to join them on their trip to the Wild Hunt. She catches up to them, and they skip along on their way as though they're the cast of Wizard of Oz strolling down the yellow brick road. Back to Farouk's. Now, Amal tells the New Mutants about, hmm, the inevitability regarding the rise of the machines and how mutants always lose. So, um, should he know anything about that? Should, should he even know anything about Orcus in the first place? Is there more to this than meets the eye, or is this just a case of a lousy and lazy editorial? It is such a sad sign of the times where that's an actual question I'm posing here. That's not rhetorical. I really would like to know. Anyway, Farouk compares Krakoa to the Iraqi, and the Iraqi, they've lived for millennia as a warlike people, suggesting that in order to survive, Krakoa is going to have to kind of modify and maybe go that direction here. Now, he talks about how kids these days see weakness as a virtue, when in fact it's not. To which, wow, um, we, we could, could go into a deep, dark tangent about kids these days who uh, like to self-diagnose themselves with all sorts of mental illnesses using, like, BuzzFeed tests. <laughs> and then running off to Reddit to brag about what sort of maladies they have. But we'll save that kind of chatter for better podcasts. From here, we get some more imagery about the potential future of Krakoa should its inhabitants not toughen up. 
it's some absolutely gorgeous stuff here, which we ought to expect from Rodriguez. Uh, now, it leads to the New Mutants being picked off one by one, and Farouk informs them all that they'll eventually learn. We get an info page to kind of flesh out what this all means here, and, and it's, it's a really good explanation, really good use of an info page. This is a listing of the various demonstrations that Farouk has put the New Mutants through in order to try and get a different result. I quite like this idea, and uh, we get, like, expanded uh, explanations for four of these demonstrations. Uh, demonstration 002 ran for 45 minutes, and uh, that one resulted in Mirage being the last mutant standing. Demonstration 14 ran 32 minutes, and Mirage and Karma were the last mutant standing. Demonstration 015 ran 4 hours and 38 minutes. Most of the team died pretty quick. It was left down to uh, Magic and Warpath, who were able to fight off the insurgents for a while, until Ilyana left to pursue her brother. Finally, Demonstration 023 ran for 5 minutes and 36 seconds, in which all New Mutants survived, and uh, we get an explanation here that Karma and Mirage may have performed some sort of synergist something or another, which prompted an anomaly to appear. We don't know what the anomaly is, we know that everything went to blackness for a split second, but, uh... Maybe we'll see more of that as we, uh, as we continue. Anyway, back to comics and back to the Irregulars. Now, they're headed to the Shadow King's cave when suddenly there's, like, all this, you know, electrical-looking energy just starts popping and fizzing, and it's some big-time energy, very, very strong, strong enough to actually turn Rainboy into a puddle. Cosmar uses her reality-warping powers to put him back together as best she can, and they continue on their way to the cave. Once inside... They get our final splash page here, which features the New Mutants laid out, but connected to the Shadow King via, I don't know, like, symbiotic tentacles or coils. It looks kind of kind of venomish. I'm, not, I'm sure it's not venomish, but it looks, you know, black, inky kind of wires, <laughs> you know, coming from the Shadow King into the New Mutants' heads, and their eyes roll white. It's a, it's a gorgeous image. It's, I mean, it's Rod Reese. It's fantastic stuff here. But that, my friends, is where we leave it. Next time out, maybe we finally get the Cerebro Sword back in X-Force? Maybe not. I'm, I'm sure there'll be Russians, so uh, we, will, uh, we will see when we get there. But for now, let's chat about this issue here. Um, first, I mean, I- I'm enjoying this. I want to make that perfectly clear from the, from the get-go here, but boy, this Shadow King story just refuses to end, doesn't it? And again, it's not a bad story. It's just... It's feeling kind of stretched to its absolute limits at this point. You know, if you're following along with um, The Essential X Lapsed, the sister program to this show, I often complain, or maybe complain is too strong a word, but I I will observe (laughs) that uh, there's a certain um, pattern and rhythm to uh, these Silver Age stories where, you know, let's say for easy easy numbers here that a Silver Age story is 20 pages long. You get 18 pages of build and then two pages of climax, right? Where it feels kind of um, unsatisfying. You know, you have all this build up, you get all this agita going in your chest, and then it's just like, oh, that's it. It's over. Okay, uh, I guess we move on to the next issue now. And if you're following Essential X Lapsed more recently, you'll know that we just finished the Factor 3 storyline in there, which ran for something like 13 or 14 issues. And ultimately came down to feeling like one Silver Age issue stretched out to a year's worth of stories, where 
just as though it had been a single issue story. We got like 90% build and then just a real, real quick ending. And it was kind of unsatisfying. Now this Shadow King story in New Mutants here, I feel like we're starting to pick up the pace with like this issue right here. But it feels like it's been going way too long. And, you know, I feel like we've had so many issues of the cast standing around twiddling their thumbs. And this has been going on since X of Tens, which... I don't want to remind you, but that was an entire calendar year ago. Uh, I'm getting a little bit tired of all the space that we're wasting with the kids kind of talking about their feelings over and over again. Now, this does seem to be one of Ayala's favorite things to do, and favorite things about this cast of characters, but, and I've said it before, it feels a little bit forced. And again, it has from the start. Sometimes this feels more like we're reading entries out of a character bible, like, as if to say, hey, this is no girl, and her problems are thus. Here's Cosmar, and this is how she feels. And maybe I'm being unfair, but these scenes strike me more as an attempt at being deep and psychological than actually fitting into a story or telling a story. I've, I've often made the comment that sometimes we conflate Psych 101 with storytelling, but this really, really smacks of that sort of a thing here. Uh, I think we can call this like the heroes in crisis axiom, <laughs> where, you know, it'll get you that 10 out of 10 review score. But damned if it's a satisfying read. Just because something is clever in a textbook doesn't mean that it's going to be clever in a in a narrative, right? At least, in, in my opinion, you're, you know, 100% welcome to disagree. Not that you need me to give you permission to do so, but uh, yeah, this is maybe just a Chris problem. I'm a student of psychology and have been for 12 years now, you know, and uh, anytime I see like an interjection where it's very, very basic, very, very uh, inch deep, mile wide looks at, uh, at anything psychological, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit as not only do I see it as a writer trying to baffle the readership with BS, but also an attempt at telling a story that uh, it's kind of difficult to criticize. I don't know, maybe, again, maybe it's just me. That said, though, this story does feel very stretched out. I feel like we're definitely stretching this one out to uh, get us to that new direction that we've been promised with issue 25. So, if I were a betting man, which I'm not, but if I were, I'd bet that we still have two more issues of this to go. Again, feels very much like the, the Silver Age formula, where we had all the issues from Exitens till now kind of just building slowly, very, very slowly, creeping along, where we're going to get the last two issues, which are just going to be like the bing, bang, boom, get us home, get us in the new direction, and uh, we won't have to think about the Shadow King anymore, I guess. Now, speaking of the Shadow King, that's like my big takeaway from this issue, uh, which, again, <laughs> despite everything I just said, I enjoyed this issue. I did enjoy it. Uh, the question I've got is, how much does the Shadow King know? Okay, and there's a couple of different ways we can look at this here. We can either assume that uh, that not much thought was put into it, or we can assume that a lot of thought was going into it, or, or I guess there is a third option as well. Maybe that there was not a whole lot of thought put into it, but there's a very convenient way to retroactively make it seem as though there was. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt here. <laughs> we'll assume... That, the, that this isn't just editorial sloppiness and that it is referring to and leading to something. So after literally mapping the chronologies of uh, Mora and the Shadow King, uh, I spent a good, you know, five, ten minutes on this. <laughs> I 
deduced that if this is something that the Shadow King would know, it would have been something he most likely learned during the Muir Island saga at the tail end of the Claremont run. In that story, the Shadow King did possess Mora. Okay, so it might stand to reason that he was able to maybe glean a little bit off the top about her true nature and knowledge during that time. I tell you what, let's just go with that, and it'll leave us far happier than having to conclude that the editors know or care as little about X history as some of the writers do. So we'll just say that's what it is. Now, in any event, however we got here, uh, this does provide the book with a much-needed zig when I was definitely expecting it to zag. Uh, I figured that this was going to be a cut-and-dry case, uh, that the Shadow King would be revealed as, like, the big bad here. And while he's clearly the antagonist here, we learn that he's only behaving this way out of, uh, you know, fear and and self-preservation. He's not being evil for the sake of being evil, like a villain usually might be. He's genuinely worried about the future of Krakoa and mutant kind, and uh, it works. That really works. It's morally ambiguous, but that's kind of the path we're on here, isn't it? It works in the context of the post-Hoxpox mutant status quo, and it still manages to pose him as a threat to the status quo. So it's really good stuff here, despite you know any of my uh, observations throughout the past several minutes. This was a good issue. I'm glad that we're actually kind of pivoting here, and I feel like the I feel like the ending is definitely in sight. Uh, before we go, the art. Holy smokes. I mean, what is there to say about Rod Reese here? Just a, a feast for the eyes, as a cliche as that might sound, right? You know, I see a lot of folks saying that this is Sienkiewicz-esque, and it certainly is, but uh, tell you what, if you ask me, and this may be heresy to some, but uh, I'm enjoying Reese far more than I think I've ever enjoyed Sienkiewicz. <laughs> this is a, a better Sienkiewicz than Sienkiewicz. Uh, it's just beautiful, beautiful stuff. It might even be worth the four bucks just for the art uh, alone here. So overall, a really good read here. Um, of course, there were some of those lingering things that have been you know, present and prevalent in this run that I think we may be spending a little bit too much time on. They're still here, but the story's really picking up. Feels like we've really turned the corner here. We are headed toward the climax. At least uh, that's the way it looks, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting there, and I'm also looking forward to the uh, new direction that uh, at this point, with all the Marvel's shipping and printing woes, I'm not sure if we're going to see it before the spring. So, uh, I mean, it could be like April, May, <laughs> who knows. We'll, uh, we'll see it when we get it, or we'll get it when we see it, or however I'm supposed to say that. But uh, either which way, we will cover it here on the show. Alrighty, from here, let's hop into the mailbag. We got a letter from Evan talking about some Last Annihilation stuff. Guardians of the Galaxy 16, and Sword Number 7. He says, It's weird that this story involves attacks all over the galaxy. It feels like I remember the other Annihilation stories starting that way. And yet, with the list of upcoming books, it seems like barely enough to fill a single trade, while King and Black launched a thousand tie-ins, even though it was confined to a single planet. Alien invasion fatigue is real but I'm intrigued by the idea of bringing together the seemingly disparate elements of the Guardians, Dormammu, and Cable, so I'll try to judge it on its own merits rather than comparing it to others. I started to say I think Al Ewing should be writing Doom regularly, but then I remembered that he's now a regular member of the Guardians cast, so that's good. 
Well, that's a, that's a good news, bad news thing, because uh, I'm pretty sure The Guardian's uh, volume is ending. Like, really soon. Like, maybe maybe even already. So, uh, we're not going to get much of Ewing on Doom unless he's... Uh, what's the book that Ewing's on now? He is on... Is he on Venom? I think he went to Venom, so maybe Doom will show up there. Who knows? Evan continues... I like the way Abigail Brand was portrayed in the beginning of this series as having goals loftier and seemingly more magnanimous than the Quiet Council. But her stunt with ep- intercepting the Alpha Flight transmission seems right out of the X-Force Beast playbook. And maybe she doesn't watch a lot of sitcoms, but she should know that plots like this never end well. I get her wanting to put Arako, Sol, Krakoa in a good position, but it seems like a better idea to let Gyrick dig his own hole rather than execute a pretty easily disproven deception. How long would you really have to wait for Gyrick to Gyrick? This risk seems unnecessary. And yeah, you're you're very much right there. Uh, it would seem that Gyrick would eventually, you know, show his true colors here, and folks would come around to not trusting him. I mean, I don't think he's trusted now, but it does seem like uh, Brand might have overstepped or acted a little bit preemptively to do what she did here, blocking the Alpha Flight transmission. I really don't know what they're doing with her. Um, like you said, uh, at the beginning of the series, her whole thing with Magneto was very, very well done in that she was trying to show him that there's more to the universe than Krakoa. You know, it's the microverse macro thing where the Krakoans are really focused on Krakoa. Brand sees herself as being kind of an advocate for the entire galaxy, which... I mean, when you're in that sort of a position, it totally makes sense. Here, this seems, well, just like you said, kind of uh, X-Force beastie, right? (laughs) A little morally ambiguous, to say the least. One of those things that I would worry about having to walk back. Um, Though, in fairness, they may have walked it back already. I I haven't yet finished the Last Annihilation stuff. I've got all the issues here. I just haven't got around to actually... Sitting down with them and checking them out. I think after reading that cable one shot, I was kind of kind of done. <laughs> I was kind of done with the event, but uh, I'm sure eventually we will get around to discussing it, um, even if just in brief. But uh, thank you so much for writing in on those issues, Evan. I really, really appreciate it. Speaking of appreciation, let's hop over to the shout-outs department, thanking the folks who cared enough to click the little icon to help promote or raise the profile, or at least... Uh, Acknowledge that I sent out an episode in the previous days here. Over on Twitter, I want to thank Chris Bailey, Jesse D. Young, Jeremiah, Joe Crawford, Ed Moore, Dave Schultz, Walt Nealon, Mark Jagger, Skits Comic, Andrew in Belfast, Evan Bevins, and Jason Colby. Over on Facebook, I want to thank Al Sedano, Jody Yarden, Jeremiah, Andrew Franklin, Pat Sampson, Billy D., and Walt Neeland. Let's keep the thank yous going with the patrons over at patreon.com slash xlapsed. I want to thank Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse D. Young, Damian, Peter McPherson, Mark Jagger, Herman, and Andrew in Belfast. Thank you all so much for the support and for uh, being with me on this on this little strange little journey here. I really, really appreciate it, as I say every day, to the point where I hope it doesn't uh, have any less meaning I cannot adequately express what it means to me. So thank you all so, so much. Now, if anyone out there would like to get a hold of me for any reason, please feel free to do so. You could find me several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. 
You can send an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. Blog posts and show notes are at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook at 90sXmen. The complete audio archives are available at chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available anywhere you find noise on the internet. And, of course, there is the Patreon, patreon.com slash xlapse, behind-the-scenes stuff, exclusive audio, some articles, a lot of fun stuff over there if you're interested in checking that out. But I think that's going to do it for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for spending a little bit of your day with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Different drugs.